0: If you get up in the morning and you just decide, I'm gonna go waste the next three hours because I don't have any objectives, well, guess what? That's the same way you're gonna operate in business. If you think that it's okay to be five minutes or 10 minutes late on a regular basis for everything you do, guess what, you're always gonna be late. If you don't think you know, money is a, an important metric in general life and you don't manage your personal money, well, well guess what? You're not going to manage your company's life well.
1: Welcome to the In Factor: Conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and joining me on today's podcast is entrepreneur, technologist, and innovator Chuck Papa Giorgio. Chuck is the founder and CEO of Worldwatch Plus. A successful AI-powered global risk information exchange platform. Today, Chuck joins me for a conversation in one of my graduate classes at the University of Tampa. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Chuck, you are a true entrepreneur. You've started, bunch and funded countless new ventures both in Tampa Bay and several other cities and. Currently, you're the co-founder and CEO of Watch, and I'm really excited to have you here on the show today. And, you know, I'd like to start by having you tell us a little about the company and your vision for it.
0: Sure. So we started this company about a decade ago, leveraging our relationships with law enforcement agencies. And the mission was if you're a bad person or a bad company anywhere in the world in any language, I want to know who you are, because our clients want to know how to avoid risky, Companies. And you know, that env- that amount of data was limited. There were like 20 agencies around the world that issued watch lists and sanctions and you know alerts and bulletins. And with the technology and the amount of data that's become available, it's just getting almost impossible to sift through the data. And the example that I use with some of our clients is: let's say a guy named Ron Brown, I just picked that number totally randomly. But just to make the point, a guy Ron Brown shows up and they want to open up an account in your bank. Google them. You'll get 113 million entries. There ain't a human being in the world that can process that, right? So then you get really cute and you tell Rodney Brown, crimes, U.S., and you get it to a manageable 9 million entries. Still not a human being that can process that. And I'm a geek. I'm an engineer by training with a focus on software and computer science. And hardware engineering. So we started thinking, how can we solve this? So we literally built an artificial intelligence technology over the last six years that completely funded that. And you put Rod and brown in our platform and you get 29 entries, no zeros. And our clients are now coming to us saying, gee, I want to know more than just risky... By government standards, I want to know if they're associated with, what's the conversation we're having today, with the poaching of animals. So we actually built technology and artificial intelligence that can tell the difference about reading something about poaching an egg, which is something that happens millions of times a day in millions of articles, and poaching a rhinoceros or a turtle, and we build all that technology. And that's what we did today.
1: Fascinating. (laughs) I love that. You know, today, you've come a long way. We're with a group of students who are just thinking about their own entrepreneurial path. But you came here from the island of Cyprus, if I'm not mistaken, with, I think, $200 (laughs) in your pocket a few years ago. (laughs) So now you're running this amazing AI company that's focused on, you know, understanding technology and understanding, you know googling and it's all about and, risk and we're risk, a risk management we're risk now, yeah. management okay so building this amazing right. company but you started you know at a different place so take it. us all the way back and tell us how you got there a little bit <laughs> about that
0: yeah so i've been a geek i was a graduate of technology technical high school and i wanted to go to university and i came to the u.s to go to school and i had gotten accepted to a couple of big name schools and realized I can't afford them so my family pitched money to put together enough money to pay two semesters of school, one month's rent, and an airline ticket. And to this day, one of my favorite nieces, we always joke about the fact that she broke a piggy bank and I think she had a total of $50 and that was the money she gave my cousin Chuck to go to the university and, you know, came here and just made a go of it I and mean, did everything, paid my way through college, working in restaurants and painting jobs and doing whatever I could do to, to make that happen. but eventually started you know got a corporate career got my degree worked in a company and started climbing the ladder and i always tell people i may not be the smartest guy in the room but i'll outwork anybody in the room and that's basically kind of how that happened and eventually i got to a point that i says i need to start my own and start my own companies and Moved to the entrepreneurship. Side.
1: Yeah. So you started in corporate and I guess you learned a lot there. We talked this morning about apprenticeship and the importance of having some experience. Yeah. But what led you to start that first company? How did that all happen?
0: So it, well, it's funny. I literally started my first company was I was late teens. My friends, a couple of friends and I built, and my brothers built this thing where we go on load warehouses and just get paid for it. That was the, the little business we had. But then when I came to the US, I realized it was almost random. I had a couple of attorney friends that are really smart people that know nothing about technology and they're like, can you help us? And I started building support programs and computers and designing software for them and workflows and solutions while I was going to school, working at a restaurant, getting my degree. And then at some point I started this side gig consulting business. But I tell people the best education I got, with all due respect to my friends in academia, was working for UPS. I went to be, uh, they hired me to be an engineer. I redesigned the UPS corporate network. My, I was the architect behind that, along with a couple of other guys. And then they said, gee, you're a smart guy. We'll make you put in the general manager course. And I went from IT to marketing, to finance, to human resources, to operations, to strategy, to just, and they throw you in a job and say, here, go figure it out. And once you figure it out, good, now go, there's your next job. I was at UPS for seven years, I had nine jobs, and every one of them was more and more important. And that's how you get to understand all the things that that you can do to change the world and build a business. And that's when when I left UPS, because somebody said, so I was made a division manager at 29, which is a big thing internally at the company. And I went to my boss at the time and said, so when do I get my next promotion? And he said, where well, the next, the youngest district level manager we have is 40. So you got a way to go. And that's kind of was the beginning Pay of your the dues, end. Huh? Yeah. It was the beginning of the end. I am not a very patient person. So I just bolted and started my own company. I went to do consulting and did M&A transactions. And I realized. I'm good at this, so I just keep doing it.
1: You know, it's really interesting to hear you talk about your work experience in all those departments, because I started, my first job was in a bank, and it was the same thing, and they moved me from department to department, which was actually very good, because, you know, we've talked a lot about the fact, and I've heard you say that you're an operator, <laughs> and I think probably you were imprinted at that time, because you saw a lot of the, the way that everything works together, so you saw holistically that whole big picture, And you're an executor and an operator, and that's kind of different from what a lot of entrepreneurs are, because a lot of entrepreneurs are like idea people, you know, they're like the big idea people, but they can't execute their way out of a room, right? (laughs) So, you know, they need somebody like you a lot of times. But you've also been really successful, I think, with recognizing opportunities. Oh, yeah. And so, I'm really curious: how does that work for you? How do you recognize opportunities? Do you have a formula, you know? And because a lot of times it's like those big idea people that get all the—they seem to come up with all the opportunities. But how do you figure it out? What's well, your okay, so secret?
0: You, you cannot be mono-dimensional and be a CEO. You can be mono-dimensional and be a founder. But if you're monodimensional, like I'm just the idea guy, just the operator, just the numbers guy, just the sales. And by the way, when I say guy, I mean it in a non-generic way, right? Right. You're the guy or gal. You can be monodimensional as a founder, but if you're going to build a successful company, you better not be as a CEO. So I'm an operator. I mean, I, I was in the in the army. I served personal detail for a general, right? I... I've always been, go figure out what to do and get it done. And so one of my board members um, at a board meeting once says, okay, Chuck, we know you're an engineer, but you know you got to put your sales hat on. Because they all recognize I have a primary mode. I'm an operator, but then I can switch and put on a sales hat and be a sales guy. I'm not great, but I'm an okay sales guy. I'm an okay finance guy, right? But when when it comes to opportunities, everybody comes at it from a different way. And my way of looking at opportunities is I look for inefficiencies. I look for things that I'm like, that's not efficient. And then I look more specifically for inefficiencies that you can leverage technology because I'm an engineer, right? So that's how I look at things that are saying, all right, w- what is the problem? Where's an inefficiency? Where's the frustration? Like this whole thing about data, right? The data used to be a trickle of data. And now it's, it's a waterfall, right? I mean, just so much data, you, you can't process that with people. And then go look for technologies to solve that. So that's my that's my mode of operation. And of all the investments that I made, with the exception of one, the restaurant business, that I, I just did it because I love the founder. But everything else that I've done is always, is there an inefficiency? Is there a problem that is really challenging for humans? And can I use technology? Because I'm good at it. I understand technology to fix it.
1: That's a great formula. I love it. So let's switch gears just a little bit. You know, most entrepreneurs, you've got a you've got a methodology and you've invested in a lot of companies. You've started a number, you've got a couple of companies running right now. I know in addition to World Watch, but most entrepreneurs along the way have to overcome challenges, <laughs> have to deal with disappointment, have to they make mistakes, they even have failures. And, and that's a big part of the journey. And I know this is one of your favorite topics to talk about with students. Can you tell us about maybe a story or two about some of the challenges that you've had to overcome and how you overcame them? In hindsight, you know, what advice would you give yourself in the midst of a struggle?
0: So the biggest disappointment on anything I've ever done is my inability at times to say, the person that helped me get something started, maybe it's not the person that's going to help me continue. Unhealthy, in some ways, loyalty to my team. And I've been accused of that many times. Now, there's some people that they should not be where they are, and period. And then there's some people that should be in different places. I'm not bad about finding different places for people to be, but my biggest disappointment has always been about the trust that I put in people and how I either didn't appreciate their full capability or I overestimated how much they could accomplish. That's the biggest failure. So I'll give you an example. I brought in a partner at one of my companies who didn't have the right level of education, didn't have the right level of experience, but I thought was a friend And therefore, I gave them a lot of responsibility. I put more title and more salary on them that they shoot and and all this other good stuff. And then they turn around and, you know, betray and take away trade secrets and do all kinds of other things and got to sue them and fire them. And it gets ugly, right? It happened to me twice. And both times it was because as like people would say, why are you doing that? That person is not worthy of your... And I have this, you know, my wife calls it the Jesus syndrome. I can save everybody, which is, so that is my biggest disappointment in business is the value that I put in people and didn't pay out. Because business, look, you're going to screw up. I've screwed up plenty of times. Side story, and you can edit it later. So there's a funny, I have a good friend of mine who's a rabbi, and he was telling me this story one day. I thought it was hysterical, and I tell her all the time. He says, this guy went to him and says, rabbi. I'm in my fifties, I got three kids. One of them is successful. One of them is failing. One of them is kind of not knowing what to do. I started three businesses. One of them works. He says, I'm trying to figure out life. Where's the answer to all that? And the rabbi says, New York City Library, third floor, second row, fifth shelf. It's the sixth book on the right, page 13, paragraph three. So the guy says, Well. So the guy says, okay. So he goes and goes through it, finds the book, and guess what was on paragraph three? It was the lifetime bearing average of Hank Aaron. And if you're a baseball fan, you realize he struck out two out of every three times over his lifetime. And this is the greatest baseball that I've ever lived. And he told me that story because I was having one of those, oh God, I'm a failure moments. And he goes, Chuck, let me tell you an old story about a rabbi. And, and he and he told me that story. And that's the thing that sometimes you just got to take a step back and say, All right, I'm going to screw up. And let's just make sure the hole is above the waterline, not below the waterline. Right. So when I screw up, it's not someone's gonna sink the boat, or if it's gonna sink the boat, make sure I got a life raft in the back so I can get everybody off. And 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 that's kind of my attitude about failure. And that's why I talk to the students when I when I come and talk to the students about just you're gonna screw up. If you think you're not, you got a God problem, you are God, or you're delusional. <laughs> so <laughs> perfect.
1: <laughs> so you know, I agree with you. I mean, failure is certainly part of the process of success and the goal, I think, is to try not to have many times when we make the same mistake twice. And that does happen, yeah. but you know, we learn hopefully from it. And you're very introspective, I think, which is a part of it, you know. We keep keep looking at ourselves and we keep growing. But through all of that, and I've watched you for 10 years and you always amaze me with the amount of energy and effort and persistence and all of that. But has there ever been a time that you felt like Giving up. And if so, what did you use to keep going? Were you able to persevere and how?
0: So I joke with people. I'm like cockroach, you can't kill me. i find I will survive. But every now and then you do get I do get that I don't know if I'm gonna make it. I wake up in the morning and you know, over the years I've been approached for jobs with many zeros in the salary range from companies that want guys like me that want to make things happen. I always think about it and then I say no. But every now and then I'll get up in the morning. I'm like, God, I wonder what would have happened if I'd taken the job with Bill Gates 25 years ago, when they offered me a job with all these different things, right? So I get over that. That's and, and you, you know, normally it takes about 30 minutes, and I'm yeah, done. Yeah,
1: regrets don't pay off usually.
0: Yeah. but there is moments, and there was one actually very recently, the last year, and I was. It's one of those things that I was on the. 29th floor of a big hotel in a major city in the United States. I was being recognized for innovation and I was going to receive this award and all that other stuff. And I'm sitting there. And at the same time, there were some issues going on in the background, you know, business wise. And I'm like, oh, we going to make it because, you know, in the early stages, there's always a debate whether you're going to make it or not. Right. And I was standing, looking down. And, and this is one of those crazy thoughts that I've never had in my life. I'm like, God, I wonder what would happen if I jumped. And it took me about five seconds. I was like, whoa, who the hell is that talking, right? And I literally picked up the phone. I have two very good friends of mine who are also CEOs and entrepreneurs and startup kind of founders. You know, Joe Hodges is one of them. So I called Joe. I'm like, call me. I had this insane thought for just like two seconds, but that was enough to make me say, whoa, that doesn't happen to me. So yeah, there's moments that are you're at the bottom of the bottom, and the only way to get around that is to have a support network of people that understand you. It's funny. That's one of those things that I didn't even tell my wife for like a week later, and it was funny because she's like, "Why didn't you call me?" I was like, "Well, because you understand, but you don't understand, right?" You're my wife. You understand. You but
1: didn't you- want to scare her, I but, guess. Well, yeah, too. but
0: that too. But she knows I'm too stubborn for anything stupid like that. But it was just one of those. It does happen, and there will be. There's days where I wake up I'm like, did I make the right decision? Did I make the wrong decision? There's days where people like, just now ah, you screwed up here, you screwed up there, and then now once acknowledge that all the good things that I do, right? You, you have to deal with that.
1: So you've been, I know, one of the things challenging. World Watch is growing a lot, and you've had to raise some money here recently. You have put in a lot of your own money, and you've. It's been a. It's been a challenge. Can you talk a little bit? I'm, I'm throwing you you know, it's a real right. tough question here, I know. But can you talk a little about raising money? I know it's a hard thing and it's yeah. it's not necessarily something that you love. I'm not sure anybody <laughs> but that, does. Yeah, but- that's
0: an understatement. So in all the years that I've started companies and I've done things, I've always funded my own stuff. I never took anybody's money. And even if I took it was a, a little bit short-term loan that got paid back, I never had outside investors. And when we started this company, same thing. When the time came and we needed money, I literally picked up the phone, Actually. Didn't pick up the phone, actually. I walked into the bedroom and I said, honey, you know that I picked up the phone, called the bank first to see I could do it. Then I walked into the bedroom and said, honey, you know, the retirement fund that we've been building and college fund. Yeah. I need the money because I'm going to put it in the company. And I love my wife. I have an awesome wife. She looks and says, is that what you really want to do? Yeah. You thought all the way through? Yes. She said, okay. And that is a cool spouse, right? That who can do that. But then we got to a point that is like, we, we miscalculated revenue. That's the one thing I can tell you cost and operating cost plus or minus 10%. I'm a Six Sigma guy. I'm an engineer. So we build our models like there is no fat in what we do. Everything is built right. But revenue, you know, a client says we're going to sign the contract this month and somebody undercuts you by 50% and then the numbers don't materialize. So we had to go raise out some money. And that is a very different pitch. I can sit and talk to clients about our product, the value that we bring. And I coached the students here about the pitch competitions, how to sell your idea. But on a personal level, you're trying to convince an investor, you're trying to sell them on your idea. And their job is to tell you, your baby's ugly. Your idea is bad. You're not going to make money. There's all the holes in it. And they doubt you. They will say, say things like, I live my life by three rules. Be good at what you do. Do the right thing help others. That's my code of conduct. I've lived like that for my entire life, pretty much. And when I go tell somebody, well, I think the customer's like this, this, and this, and they say, well, I don't think there's a market like that, I want to just rip over and just grab them by the throat and say, are you serious? Do I look like the kind of BS artist that's going to, you know? But then again, they fall for things like Theranos, the Theranos lady, the CEO, and they fall for things like the WeWork guy because they want to, you know, they like salespeople. I'm not a sales guy. So yeah, it, it's not an easy thing to do. But once you get the right people, the right investors, they'll get it. Like the group of investors we had now, it's funny, I spent so much You're time- You're about
1: to close on a deal
0: or just, just close someone. We just someone. closed the deal. The press release is coming out in the next couple of days. Big round, almost $5 million, Right but it was funny. I spent so much time with investors. that just didn't get it. Didn't get it. They just don't get it. It's like they had a thousand questions. 800 of them were not relevant, but you have to answer them. And then when you find the right investor, they were like, oh, I get what you're doing. I see the market. And then they will ask, they ask so many less questions, but meaningful questions that we answered And then they dug such a deep level to understand the answer to those questions and ignored all the noise. And then like, yeah, done deal. So it it is fundraising. Plus for the last 18 months, 70 or 80% of my focus and time was dedicated to chasing money instead of customers and revenue and products. So yeah, it it is not my favorite thing to do. And if you can avoid it, don't do it. If you can fund your own company, that's what I tell people, go get a job. I was meeting with a college student a couple of weeks ago. I was like, go get a job, work for a year. Because I was like, what's your operating expense? He said, well, I don't know, my rent and whatever. So, $2,000 like, a month or whatever the number was. I said, with your credentials, you can get a job being fifty dollars or $60,000 a year. That means you got $35,000 a year. At the end of your first year, take that money, invest in the company and don't take anybody's money. If you don't need anybody's money, don't take any, anybody's money. So I'm sorry, I rumbled on on that. No,
1: that's great. I know it's, I mean, it, a lot of entrepreneurs face that and they really struggle with that. You've started a number of businesses. You're beyond generous with your time, talent, and treasure. Also giving back to lots of groups that support entrepreneurships, lots of charity groups. You're on our advisory board. Thank you very much for that. How do you manage to find the time for everything?
0: <laughs> I don't sleep a lot. That's one. And just, you know, just to kind of give you an idea so I donate between the University of Tampa, Tampa Bay Wave, and a couple of other organizations that I support. I donate about 30 hours a month, and then I give a, 10 days of my time every year to go volunteer for a camp for kids with cancer, and then I write checks whenever I can. So there's already a pretty significant time commitment, But and I schedule my average work week, I schedule about 60 hours of the work between meetings, conference calls, research time, work time. And that's the way you do it. The only way you can do all that is by carefully managing your time. I have an awesome team of people around me. And it's funny, my apps manager laughs because she can manage anything. She can manage my money. She can manage, I trust her with anything except my calendar. That is the one thing that nobody can touch. Even my wife. She will call me and says, I want to make an appointment for you. Can I take this half hour time? Because time management is the only thing that is non fungible right time money energy those are the three units of transactional units that we have to operate with time money energy money i can always make my money energy i'll get some sleep i'll recharge i'll make it happen but time can't get that back right so that's how i manage my time
1: you know i feel the same way i don't like it when anybody (laughs) steals anything from me but if they steal my time it's probably the worst because yeah i can't get that back So is there a blueprint for success in business?
0: Well, the only thing is find customers that are willing to pay you for something at profit. That is the only constant in business. But there is no real blueprint for success other than that because I know companies that are horrible at customer service, but they have a great product and the customers are willing to pay for it. I've worked with entrepreneurs that could have managed the operational side of their business. They could have managed their way out of a wet paper basket with a chainsaw, but the brilliant idea people and they get people to buy in, right? So there's just no magic formula for it. As long as you understand that there's an investment required, you know, it's fine. Business hasn't changed since the Cro Magnon days, where one Neanderthal went to another one and says, I have meat, you have wheat, we trade, right? It's the same concept. I have something, you have something, there's a value in the exchange. That is the only blueprint for success. Other than that, figure out what works for you. And more importantly, figure out what's going to be in the way of your success and either move it, kill it, and go around it, right? So-
1: I love that. One of my favorite sayings from you is that the the way you do anything
0: <laughs> is, is the way, way you, do, you do everything. Or the way right? you
1: do it, yeah. The way you yeah. do anything <laughs> is the way you do everything. Can you talk about that cuz I think that's it is, really it good is, for our yeah, listeners. it is here.
0: it's one of those things that underlines my philosophy in life and how I operate and it's my kids hear it all the time, my friends hear it all the time. If you get up in the morning and you just decide I'm going to go waste the next 3 hours because I don't have any objectives, well, guess what? That's the same way you're going to operate in business. If you think that it's okay to be five minutes or 10 minutes late on a regular basis for everything you do, guess what? You're always going to be late. If you don't think you know, money is a, an important metric in general life and you don't manage your personal money well, well, guess what? You're not going to manage your company's life well. In the, and it's funny. I, I watch people. I'll give you an example. Every time I violated that rule, I paid dearly for it. I had an executive working for me who made a ton of money, and yet, and we had a pool of of gift cards, and the rule that I had was, if you see one of my employees do something really good, because we have people in a call center kind of setup, go over there, grab a $25 gift card, don't say anything, just put it on the card, say, thank you, and walk away. Every week, she would take two of those gift cards to pay for her Starbucks. Now think about that. You're an executive making hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary, And you think it's okay to take gift cards from the employee gift card. The way you do it, guess what? That's the same executive that walked away cheering us and we have to sue and everything else, right? It's the way you do anything is the way you do everything. I put people to test. I'll do stupid stuff like I'll go to a restaurant and just watch how somebody behaves with the waiter. Or I'll set somebody to a totally stupid and just to see how they respond to somebody who doesn't understand. I've sat in a room I think the funniest one was, I've sat in a room with 27 lawyers doing an $8 billion transaction and they didn't know who I was because I sat in the room for two days and they didn't know who I was until the last day of the negotiations, one of my guys says, hey, Chuck, what do you think we should do about that? Because they have reached the end and everybody turned around, looked and was like, you're the guy? I'm like, yeah, I'm the guy. But I didn't do it because I wanted to trick them. I wanted to see how they operate because the way you do anything, it's the way you do everything. And if you allow slack in one way in your life, you're going to allow it in other places. So. Yeah, I've
1: started using that with hiring people and you know it, it can really come in handy. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up our conversation, this has been great. We could keep talking, I know, forever. But if there was one piece of advice you would want to leave with our listeners, what would it be?
0: Yeah, I gave it a lot of facts of, of, of all the things that we're talking about. That's the one that I thought about. This is geared for entrepreneurs, Right. And the one thing that you should never look at as an entrepreneur is that anything you put into your business is a sacrifice. No, wrong attitude. Priests, soldiers, you know, saints make sacrifices. Entrepreneurs make investments. So if there's one piece of advice is whatever you decide you're gonna do, TME units, right? Time, money, energy. It's not a sacrifice. It's an investment. And if you look at it that way, then you're going to start to see the, huh, should I make this investment in focus and energy on something? Should I invest this money instead of, gee, I'm not going to go out for a party tonight because I, you know, I, with college students, it's a big thing. Wow, well, we're not going to go out tonight because I took $100 to go test an idea. It's, I sacrificed. No, you didn't. That's an idiotic view of the world. If you're an entrepreneur, you don't make sacrifices. You make investments. And that also allows you to deal with the fact that every now and then, guess what happens to investments? They go to zero, right? Instead of, oh, I sacrificed and I got nothing for it. Nope, I made an investment, it didn't pay off. So that's the one thing I'll close with. You know,
1: I love that because I talk to students a lot and entrepreneurs a lot about the value of showing up mm-hmm. because somebody, maybe it was Woody Allen, somebody said everything, all the opportunities I ever got came from just showing sure up. Enough, yeah. And, you know, it's like you never know what you're going to, what's going to happen or who you're going to meet or what the outcome is going to be. But if you're not there, you know, you're not going to get it, right? Make, you're not going to. Make gonna, the
0: investment. Show so up. A lot
1: of it is about showing up. Does anybody in the audience have a question they would like to ask Mr. Papa Giorgio I can hand over the microphone.
0: Okay. Joel? How are you doing today, Chuck? I'm doing great. Um, my question is, after seeing you being betrayed by that executive, how difficult was it to then persevere through that and place your trust in someone else after that incident i refuse to let other people define how i live my life so yeah it hurt it cost me more than a half a million dollars in legal fees to resolve it just about almost broke my company but you know what at the end i believe people are good until they prove otherwise and so no that didn't change it The only thing that I did differently now, I pay a lot more attention to my own rule about watch how they do anything, and I don't allow any slack in that anymore. So,
1: yeah, sometimes you get have to get hardened to that. Yeah. (laughs) Any other questions? Yeah,
0: Colby. Hello, my name is Colby. Thank you for being here. I just have a quick question. So I know you are like the jack of all trades. You've you know were the operator. You you've done everything. What would your advice be to someone who maybe you know is is good at xyz but maybe they really struggle in other areas you know for a new entrepreneur like what would what would your advice be so the one thing too about that is if you're not good at something just make up your mind am i not good because i'm naturally not good at it and i will never be good at it sales i am not good at it i will never be a great sales guy so don't try to be one just find other people that are really good at that right like my head of sales she is like she eats and spits out nails, right? I mean, she's just the example of a hardcore seller, right? So I don't try to do that. I'll do my selling part, but I won't do that. So focus on what are you really good at or what you could be great at and then go find other people to surround you, just like my salespeople, just like with my technology guys. I'm a good technology guy, but 20 years later, I can't write code anymore. But say what, my CTO, I'm a geek, he's an Uber geek, right? So go find people to partner up with and find ways to compensate them for making you successful. We talk about the technical co-founders a lot. Well I think we might have two now. I was the token engineer on the EIR board for the longest time. And every time there was an engineering a technical thing, they'll get them, they'll come to me and it's like, go find a co-founder. Because you want to do this wonderful thing, but you're what you're trying to do defies the laws of physics. So you know unless you find an engineer to help you package it, you're not going to do that. Or I'm a very good finance, financial model guy, but I will never be as good. I will never be a CFO as good as my my CFO and my CPS. So go find somebody to compliment that. Don't try to do it because it's just, A, you're going to hate it. And B, you're never going to be really good at it, right? So don't do it.
1: Hi, my name is Allison Burby. Thank you for speaking to us today. <laughs> so in your early stages, where did you find your confidence within your ideas to go out and present them to the world and make yourself vulnerable and say,
0: here's my innermost thoughts. Here's what I want to do with my life. Accept it. You know? Yeah. That's not the way it works, right? <laughs> you know, you don't just go out there and say, this is what it is. Accept it. It is. It's funny. Are you familiar with the Myers-Briggs extroverts, introverts. If you would take a bet, what do you think a, sc- a score on the extrovert introvert scale? I am plus or minus one point on either side, Right. And so I had to learn how to stand up and speak. I'm a short, bald Greek guy with a funny accent, right? I had to get up and learn how to present, how to speak, how to share my ideas. Dr. White occasionally, a lot less these days than it used to be at the beginning, says, Chuck, stop, we got it, right? I had to learn how to condense my ideas to the point that people can understand them. It, it, just, it just takes practice, it just doesn't happen overnight pitch competitions oh my god I pitch so many times to this day I speak in front of groups of thousands I mean it's not unusual to do that and still every time to this day <laughs> my wife's name is Janet Janet laughs because she knows I got a speech coming up because she hears me in the bathroom going back and forth in front of the mirror practicing or I'm in my office playing myself trying to record refix, right it takes practice Confidence comes from, I know I practice my delivery. I've done enough research and I asked enough people that challenge me. So I know what I have to say is good. Now I'm more confident to go tell people, right? Because if you have an idea and you think it's a good idea, but you haven't tested it with anybody, just like me, my confidence level is not going to be high. I might be able to articulate it, but I got to be prepared. So it's, it's practice, practice, practice. Find people that challenge that. There's a guy, he's maybe 12 years older than me or 10 years older than me. He sold his company for like $80 million. And it's funny, people joke, his Chuck's Chuck. I go to him, God, for 20 years now, have breakfast with him once every five or six weeks. And he just beats the crap out of my ideas. Because you know what? I mean, that's how I get, when I get him to say, yeah, that's a good idea. That's when I'm like, okay, I'm confident. I can go talk to anybody about that. So that's how you do that. There is no easy button on that one thank you thank you Jamie Ray and I like how you said that you were a jack of all trades or still is if you have to be and Kobe also mentioned it in her question but I wanted to emphasize more on what is the importance of being someone that's flexible in being able to do a lot of things what's the benefit in that it is the ultimate benefit you have to be flexible and coachable You know, it's funny. I have a friend that says, you want to make God laugh? Tell her your plans because everything you think you know is wrong, including God's gender, right? And and the point is, you have to be flexible. Things are going to go wrong and you have to be able to understand why didn't they go the way I wanted them to do. So being flexible and as an entrepreneur, being coachable. So if you look for a personality trait, you got to be coachable. I mean, you know, people look at me sometimes. I'm like, why do you listen to all this input from all these people? Why do you go ask? I ask my employees all the time, tell me what can I do better? Because, and I truly do, I've changed things, right? All the time. You know, I'm not perfect. Ask my wife, right? So, but yeah, it's an extremely important trait for entrepreneurs. One, I think it's one of the most critical success factor of an individual entrepreneur, be coachable, be flexible, you know, in, in many things. And some things, no, not in your ethics. Not in your convictions, right? But yeah, you got to be flexible and you got to be adaptable and coachable.
1: I love these questions, and one of the things I love about you, Chuck, is that you really do walk your talk, because you're very open to being coached. I mean,
0: I've I- gotten <laughs> feedback from Rebecca over the years, <laughs> yeah. and I've adjusted my. It's like you know what that does that, me. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I don't. I am not a wilting flower by any stretch of the imagination, no. right? But if you tell me something, I will listen. And I will process and if it's internally consistent and it makes sense and it lines up with my values and code of conduct, absolutely will change my behavior. And I, I change my behavior all the time.
1: Well, Chuck, this has been great. It's really been fun to do this, this recording in front of the class too, and have you as part of this. So thank you for being with us today. And
0: always a pleasure.
1: If our listeners would like to connect with you, how can they do that?
0: The World Watch Plus website, my email is on that. I do have a Twitter handle. It's at Chuck Papa G. So anyway, email, find me through the University of Tampa, the Center for Entrepreneurship. I'm easily accessible.
1: All right. Thank you, Chuck.
0: Thank you. Thank you.